talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to Voice America Women. This is Voice America Women's Network. And joining me this morning for a whole hour, because Victoria is one of my favorite guests. She's been on my show a couple times. She is the editor of a new book called For Keeps, Women Tell the Truth About Their Bodies, Growing Older, and acceptance, and uh, Victoria is the editor of this book. Uh, on the back of the book, Victoria, it says, Women often devote boundless effort to beauty and fitness, but usually by fighting our bodies rather than befriending them, and that really resonated with me. Also, joining Victoria uh, and I and Lauren, my co-host. How are you this morning, Lauren? I'm good, Catherine. Thank you. How are you? Yes, we have two authors who have contributed to to the anthology, Masha Hamilton. She's a best-selling author, the author of several books, uh, and she her chapter is entitled Afghanistan. And Amy Lee Liu, she also her chapter is called Dead Bone, and she too is a prize-winning or an award-winning author. So, Victoria, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you, Catherine. It's a, a pleasure as always to be here. It's always a pleasure to read your books too. Thank you. I mean, this women telling the truth about their bodies, growing older, and acceptance. I have to say that, you know, I'm one of those ladies, one of those baby boomers. Lauren, you're not so much so because you're, like, still at the uh, beginning of the baby, the end or the beginning. I don't know what you would call it. but I think it's the end. The end of the, yes. Am I the beginning? You're the beginning. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Victoria's age. I, I'm right in that category, but... Uh, what is it about our bodies? I mean, why can't, I mean, Victoria, I mean, you talked to all of these women, what were they, 27 different women with stories about their bodies and how we really aren't able to accept our bodies and we punish ourselves and, and, and we don't do good things for ourselves. So um, talk to us about, first of all, maybe the reason you wrote the book, or that you, you didn't write the book, but that you... That I, con- I conceived it. You conceived know, it. I, I, because I was taken with the concept of body and soul, and I'm one of those women who I, I've been very fortunate. I've been very healthy. I say with great pride that I'm on no prescription medications, although I know that just saying that, you know, a bolt of lightning is going to come through the sky. No, you uh, just make all the other women jealous. <laughs> yeah, exactly, except, except that um, I, my body is very healthy. I have never taken care of it. I'm, I'm overweight right now. I'm not, getting enough, I'm not getting any exercise, to be honest. And I know that I'm tempting fate. And so... The, the concept of body and soul to me is so interwoven. I, you really, I can't separate the two. You know, I, I know that there are reasons why I'm not taking care of my body. I can use the excuses that so many of us use. We're working so hard. We're balancing family and work and creativity and all these other things and who has time. But really for women, there's another message there. We have been pounded and, and attacked and sometimes berated by all of these ads that we see on television about the perfection of the woman. And, and for myself, I have to say that there's a part of my brain that says, you can't even get close to looking like that, so why bother? And, that's of course, it's very, it's very self-defeating. But in a way, sometimes that's a good thing, too, because then you don't spend time dieting and running and jumping. And I, I, I'm still, and I, I'll sort of, I think I need to admit this at the beginning of the show, I'm <laughs> at the stage of, you know, without estrogen, postmenopausal, looking at this, this body and, and saying, well, how did I get here? You know, right. you know, and, who does, and who does this belong to? <laughs> and who does this belong to? And this, what can I do about it? And it's, it's, um, it's very disarming, and I don't think that I've come to the point of really accepting it. Now, as you say, health is obviously a number one, you know, is the number one criteria. Mm-hmm. And yes, we know that. But on a day-to-day basis, you know, I'm feeling the fat, and I'm five pounds overweight, and I've got all those issues, and I can't seem to get away from it. My partner, my boyfriend of 20 years, he doesn't have the same issue. And believe me, he's not in perfect shape. <laughs> right. And it's so funny because I, I've had people say to me, you know, it's, it's very simple. Just strip down naked and stand in front of a full-length mirror. 
and look at yourself. I mean, you'll see this wonderful body in my responses. Are you out of your mind? I don't need to be depressed about my body. I know what it looks like. Thank you very much. But, uh, but seriously, you know, th- this book is, for me, it's sort of a gift that I wanted to give myself and, and also to women and to my daughter, too. I have a, a daughter who's, who's a, a mother of small children and, and who is very fit and is very conscientious about health, and not overly so. But even with her little girls, they are very fit. They're only five years old. But when we pass a McDonald's, you know, excuse me, I probably shouldn't say this, when we pass a fast food place, <laughs> you know, their response is, you know, you shouldn't eat that food. It's got a lot of fat, and it's not healthy for you. And I said to them one day, well, is it because you're afraid of being fat? And they said, it's not, it's not just being fat. It's, being, it's not good for you. So, do you point out in the book, Victoria, that that's often an excuse, and I think a lot of, at least several women, mm-hmm. um, use that as an excuse, you know, for fit, nutrition, you know, all of these kind of buzzwords. Sure. But really, uh, they work themselves in, you know, they, they, they hurt their bodies by exercising too much, dieting too much, mm-hmm. under the guise of it that it's healthy and it's good for you. But we seem to not know, as women, where are the limits? What? Well, sure, because take a look at every magazine that you see when they talk about the fact that we're no longer going to be stressing you know, extreme thinness. This is now the healthy body, and you look at it and you think, I could never get that thin either. I mean, that may not be emaciated, but that's not healthy. And yet, that's what we're held up to in terms of, in terms of the, um, the comparisons. You know, in the introduction to this anthology, I start off the introduction by saying what so many women go through, which is I went for my mammogram. Every year it's the same. You know, it's fine, it's fine, come back in a year. And last year it was, I got the letter saying, you have, could you please come back for a retest? And I just, I was stunned. And, of course, I knew intellectually that 95% of the time it's just because they didn't get a clean picture. But you live with that for, you know, it took weeks before I could go back and have it done. And, of course, it was fine. But I remember driving away thinking, and this is what I, what I wrote in the, in the introduction, to believe that I'm healthy, to wish that I'm healthy, and to live with the expectation that I will be healthy in no way guarantees my good health. So the point is that we can work toward being very healthy. We can do all the right things and exercise, and we should. There's no question about it. But, and yet we have to also understand that that's no guarantee that we're going to be healthy. And another, you also, and I, I want to mention this because you yourself have a chapter in this book. Let's talk a little a bit about your chapter. And mm. The title of it is Betrayed. What does betrayed mean in the context of what you've written yeah. for, for I have people? to tell you, this was the hardest essay I've ever written in my life. I really agonized over it. And, in fact, I sent it to my agent several times and said, do I really have to put an essay in this book? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do, Victoria. Yes, and she said, yes, you do, and do it. And do it. Um, the, the betrayal was on, on several uh, levels. One was the betrayal, I thought, from my community, being, being a, a, you know, a Jewish kid from a civil rights family in a community that had a very large black population, and it was the white community, though, that was very cruel to me as a child. And um, so I felt betrayed in that sense. I, betrayed, I felt betrayed by my body, which started menstruating at the age of 10. By the time I was 12 years old, I basically had a woman's body, and I had no idea what to do with it. Uh, I, had, I had large breasts. I had, you know, my waist had already tapered. And so I could have easily passed for 18, but I was a little girl. And so the attention that I got from boys and men who didn't have the sense to understand that I was a child and would, and would be confused and, and really mortified by this attention, it was, it was very damaging to me. And so, so you're saying, Victoria, that age, age 10 you started menstruating, mm-hmm. so your body betrayed you starting uh, at a very young age. You were in elementary school. I was a, I was a fifth grader. And, uh, or maybe even fourth grader, I can't remember now. And it was, it was very, very traumatic for me because nobody else that I knew of was menstruating. I had no idea what it was. I had an older sister and she was, you know, I mean, she teased me a little bit, but basically she was very kind to, to try to explain to me what was happening. But when I was 10, she was only 13. <laughs> so it wasn't exactly as if I could turn, you know, to the woman sister I had. Um, so it was very difficult for me. And, and I, I don't think I ever really recovered from 
the shock of having been a woman child. But how could that have played out differently? I mean, could your sister have done something differently or your mother, the other women in your life, could they have helped you? I mean, you know, that's nature. Ten years old. That's right. You got your period. Yeah. There was nothing they could do about that. But no. that there would be an outcome that would sound a little bit more positive? I think that had I, had I known more about my body at that age, um, and I was a kid who lived, I lived pretty much in my head even then, I think that had I, had I not had to wait for another couple of years to see, you know, the movie, You're a Young Lady Now, do you remember that? We all had to sit down and watch that. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, I've been there. I've been doing that for a long time. Um, but I never really understood how my body worked. And, um, and I think that's so important for children, for, for boys and girls to understand. And I've noticed that when my granddaughters are with me, as I said, they just turned five, I mean, they, they understand a lot more than I did when I was 10 years old. Well, there's a lot more information out there for everyone, but especially for young women, I mean, with the Internet and communication. Oh, sure, and there's a comfort level, too. A comfort level with their bodies. With their bodies. you should say that because you keep reading about the, the fact that these young girls are getting so hooked into, you know, what their bodies should look like, oh, you know, know, really seeing these models all over the place and, yeah. and getting anorexia and bulimia are on the rise. And I becoming think. sexually active at the age of 11. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's a whole other thing. But my daughter is really great about talking to the girls and, and they have, if they ask a question, it never gets brushed off. She's very good about answering and straightforwardly, and, but at a level for a five-year-old, not to give them information they can't handle. So, Victor, I would say communication is really the key. And, and amongst women, mothers and daughters, it's, it's really important and the truth. It is, and, it, and absolutely. We don't, yeah, we don't get sort of tied down to those uh, horrific things that we do to our bodies. We have to take a break for a minute, but we'll be right back. And you're talking to Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. And Victoria Zackheim for Keeps. She's the author of For Keeps. Will, it, will women tell the truth about their bodies growing older and acceptance? And my co-host, Lauren Beller, will be back in a minute. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. I have three children, and I've been raising my 16-year-old sister. Mary Gallagher and her family shared a two-bedroom apartment with eight people. Now Habitat for Humanity is helping her build a simple, decent, affordable home of her own. When we first found out that we were getting a Habitat home, it was like a dream. I kept saying, don't anybody wake me up. Not only is Mary helping build her own home, she'll buy it with a no-profit, zero-interest mortgage to keep it affordable. Habitat came out and built my home. And when Mary started building her house, I wanted to come out and give a hand. We're not just building Mary's house, we're building a neighborhood. There's several more to be built this year, and I look forward to working on each of their houses and seeing the joy of their face when they open the door to their brighter future. Habitat for Humanity. Building homes, changing lives. Support the work in your community. Visit Habitat.org. I feel very blessed. God has answered all of my prayers. We are home. Ladies, are you looking for a place where you can talk candidly about anything and everything? Well, here it is. Timeless Women Speak on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk about sexuality, age-proofing your career, finding your passion and purpose, keeping your brain power, keeping your marriage fresh, dating for grown-ups, plastic surgery, surviving our beauty culture, and much more. Tune in Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific to Timeless Women Speak with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly on the Voice America Women's Channel channel radio that talks with you not at you voice america women's radio network you're listening to the katherine zox show on the voice america women's channel if you'd like to join our conversation this morning call now the toll-free number is 866-472-5788 that number again is 866-472-5788 Welcome back to the Catherine Zock Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to Voice America Women's Channel, voiceamericawomenschannel.com. And joining me this morning is Victoria Zackheim. She is the editor, and during the break, I have to say, Victoria corrected me. She is not the author of the book. She is the editor, although she does have one piece in the book. Uh, for keeps, women tell the truth about their bodies, growing older, and acceptance. And joining us this morning, and with Lauren Beller, my co-host, is Masha Hamilton. She's also one of the authors and has a chapter in the book uh, titled Afghanistan. And uh, welcome to the show. Nice Thank to have you, you on so this much. morning, Masha. Thank you for having me. 
And as I understand it from Victoria, you have written several award-winning books, so it really is a pleasure to have you here today. Oh, well, thank you very much. All right. So let's talk about your contribution to this to the book, For Keeps, uh, and the title of your book, Afghanistan. And you actually traveled through a- Afghanistan. You had a mission or a purpose to uh, report, this was in 2004, reporting on the situation for women in Afghanistan, as I understand it. That's right. And, you know, it's kind of a... a pleasure to be in for Keeps because there are such a myriad of stories and experiences of women, which I really love braiding together, and it's really fun for me to have the Afghan women uh, story be part of it. I was there in 2004, and the essay that I wrote um, has to do with a, an afternoon in which we were driving. We drove uh, outside of Kabul to a small area, and we saw a lot of women coming, walking through the plains to see the doctor, and they thought initially that I was the doctor. I got to meet the doctor, a woman doctor, amazing woman, who had uh, stayed in Afghanistan through the Taliban period, had not left, as many did, to Pakistan and other places, and had, had continued to treat women without wearing the burqa. She wore instead a headdress, and she told the Taliban, you need someone to treat your wives. You don't want it to be a male doctor, so you stay out of my work, and I'll stay out of yours. And they, they backed down to that. So she, she, she's one amazing woman, and she was once a week coming to this area where women would walk for miles to be treated by her. What was your, you know, you, you were there for how long during that period of time? Just about three weeks. And during that period of time, did you, were, were you able to get close to the women of, of, uh, of, 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 of Afghanistan? I mean, were you able to make... Uh, Relation or have a relationship with any one of these women, and do you continue to do that? From the very flight over, relationships started to happen, and it's really interesting. I was in the Dubai air, airport waiting to fly into Kabul, and I was kind of sitting by myself. I was there early, and I noticed a group of men were kind of moving away. It was prayer time, and they began to pray, and I, I sort of watched, and I had a head uh, scarf around my shoulders. I hadn't quite pulled it up yet, and I was sitting on the floor watching the men, and some of them were giving me sort of suspicious looks, and, and then as I was watching, one woman sat down next to me, and then another, and soon I was surrounded by a group of about eight or ten women. Some of them were speaking to me in English. Some spoke in Pashto or in other languages, and they kind of immediately welcomed me in. On the flight over, a woman was telling me her entire story, and those sorts of connections continued through the entire visit. The link between women, the sort of magical connection that I felt waiting in the Dubai airport. When, actually, when you got there, and I find this really interesting, you had an opportunity to even uh, link together with them in even a more intimate way and um, because of one of the skills that you have, being able to do shiatsu. Tell us about that. Yeah, that is what the essay is about. And I, There were so many stories from Afghanistan, but in this case, when I met the women who were looking for a doctor and, and wanted so much uh, to, be, to have attention paid to them, I began to talk to the woman doctor. She said, the main problem we really have here is malnutrition and stress. That's what these women really suffer from, and they walk all these miles to see me, but these are the two things that really are the matter. And I said, you know, I've got some training in shiatsu, and she said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so, you know, because of her sort of boldness and like, let's do this together, this sounds great, I, I wouldn't have dared to suggest it myself, but we spread out a mat, and as the women would come in and take off their burqas, and she would talk to them, and she would be talking to me, and she did like, you know, I've been telling her no more babies, you know, and then she would instruct the women to lie down, and I would do shiatsu on them. These women had never been touched in such yeah, I, a way before. I want to stop, you know, because I think that it just amazed me when I was reading your, the story that, or your story about these women, that they would allow you to touch them in that way. Because I even have difficulty getting a massage. And I thought about myself, that whole issue of intimacy and another person touching your body with these women who wear burqas and you can't even see their eyes with the nets across their, their faces. Yes, you're so right. And, you know, I think... There is a need for human touch. And I also think, really, that they were doing it because the doctor told them to. You know, she told them to lie down. And so (laughs) if I would have shown up and said, because, you know, I looked different. I'm sure I smelled different. I felt different. But I was also very conscious of not being too um, aggressive in my touch. You know, I would gently kind of stroke the back a little bit and then do kenbiki, something we call kind of a rocking to the back, and very, very gentle 
the way that their bodies felt was different than the way most Western bodies feel. In terms of nutrition, I could feel it even in the touch. Um, all of the women were, except one, were a little nervous, and you could see it in the way they held their bodies. And, and in the, but one woman was so funny. She sort of, you know, flopped down and just completely relaxed, and, and it was really an interesting, interesting phenomenon and just a pure gift that this doctor allowed me to have. So, in other words, most of the women, or all of them except for this one woman, Masha, really weren't able to completely relax, which is understandable. Oh. And you could feel, I assume, the tension in their bodies. What do you think it was about this one woman who was able to do that with you? What was the connection? <laughs> I, you know, I can only guess, and I've thought about it since. I just think she must have that kind of temperament that just allows that, that was just relaxed and easy and sort of good-natured. She just sort of, like, laughed and, and threw herself down, and it was kind of a surprise to me. But, you know, I, I think... What my dream has been since then is to return for, say, three months and stay in one place and do shiatsu over a three-month period, an extended period, and, and watch the changes in the women and in myself uh, because it was really it was a, one of many very memorable experiences in Afghanistan that, that made those women really part of my, my psyche and my life. You have to wonder, too, Masha, what, kind, what the difference was in her home life. If there was a husband, how he treated her how you know the women, woman who allowed her to, the woman yeah the woman who was relax. so relaxed yeah. and who enjoyed it yeah and who, and who knows but i will say that in terms of men and husbands and that kind of thing i found that the afghan women had a much uh different uh, idea and a higher tolerance for <laughs> you know for problems and i mean you know if he's not beating me too much we're okay. You know, it's that kind of a... I met... I went into prison in Kabul and in Kandahar, and I met a woman who was in prison there because she'd... It, for a, an offense called fleeing the home, I, I didn't even... I said, what? I didn't even know what fleeing the home was. And she had been beaten by her husband for years and showed me the scars. Uh, and finally... Uh, left uh, home because he, he beat her in front of a, a, a sister or some family member she just didn't want anymore. She left and was put in jail for, for leaving. The women that you were doing siatu with, did any of them have bruises on their bodies, or, did, or any of them, did you notice any cut marks on their bodies? The ones No, that nothing that I saw uh, at all. Uh, what I noticed primarily in those, and again, I was really respectful, and I didn't, I just was really, you're, you're right, it's already intimate to touch someone, so I was very cautious in, in this. But and, and they were short sessions, I mean, 10 minutes tops, you know. I really, um, but what I noticed was the texture of the skin and how the stringiness and how, you know, there's, I mean, malnutrition is a very, very uh, serious issue. The poverty there is, of course, it's it's, um, something that can be difficult to comprehend from this country. I want to just address this topic because I was thinking about those burkas. I haven't been able to get those out of my mind as you described them and that, you know, that they just completely cover their bodies with the netting over their eyes and over their face. How does that affect how these women feel about their bodies, about themselves, their psyche? How, what, what is the impact? Well, you know, I think the burqa is a very um, intriguing and, and really misunderstood article of clothing in lots of ways. Um, it is, uh, you know, seen by, uh, by us, of course, as really kind of offensive. I mean, we, we have decided that a woman should be able to do whatever she wants, and, and in fact, we had the idea that if you've got it, baby, flaunt it. <laughs> and, you know, when I was in Kandahar and I was walking through the marketplace with an Afghan-American woman, and we were both wearing scarves, but she was not wearing a burqa either, and virtually Every woman that we met out in the streets wore burqas, but she was not. And an old woman came up to her. I clearly clearly looked like a foreigner, but she did not. And the old woman said to her, you are such a pretty girl. Why aren't you protecting it and covering it? So it's an entirely different way of looking at it. I also think that that sometimes we say, you know, get rid of those burqas. um, And in a way, it does serve to protect the women a little bit from from the eyes of men, and also in some ways it's not a primary concern for them. Basic economics, survival of their children, you know, educating and feeding their kids is, is a higher concern in many, in many ways. So we have to look at the burqa in the context of the society in which these women live. 
which we that's did not right. do. We looked that's right, Catherine. And also yeah. where they are in their, I mean, what, you know, if, if you're struggling with, you know, getting, one other house that I went into, uh, a woman had two daughters and her, and her husband was, it was a two-room little hut of war rubble. He was asleep, or sort of asleep, in the back room. Um, before he fell ill, and he was ill at this point, before he fell ill, he had been buying and then reselling lemons. So this was never like a lot of income coming into the family. But for two months, he had not been able to do even that. And she was pretty desperate, you know. So for someone like this, burqa or voting, not voting, or it's just like really not even an issue. Not high up on the scale, or not when you're is, trying to survive. Yeah, when you're trying to survive. Yes, when you have to survive. Now we've got about a minute left, so I want to just read because this is that last um, paragraph in your in your story, Afghanistan. Um, the most significant lesson, and you say, may have been the importance of touch in connecting people from unimaginably different lives and circumstances. And uh, I guess that's the lesson to be learned from your journey. You know, over and over, I think it was, Catherine, I, I think very often, in fact, I, I would reach out and touch the women. The women would reach out and touch me. And I can think of right now, flashing through my mind, are a dozen circumstances when I would meet women and they would take my hands and even touch my cheeks, and I would do the same with them. And then we would touch our own hearts, you know, as a sign of, of respect and, and, and admiration. And these women, as I say, they were so admirable that they, they made a permanent impact on my psyche. Well, your story has made a permanent impact on my psyche, and I thank you so much for being on the show today, Masha. Masha Hamilton, she Thanks, is an Marcia. author. Thank you. Yes, award-winning author, and she's one of the contributors to For Keeps, Women Tell the Truth About Their Bodies, Growing Older and Acceptance, edited by Victoria Zakai, who's on the show with us today. And we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Catherine Zock Show on Voice America Women's Network. And uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. Talk radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Wake up and Jack. He'll get you right back to your head. JackLaLane.com presents Jack LaLane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Each week, Jack is joined by Elaine LaLane and his nephew, bodybuilder, kinesiologist, and personal trainer, Chris LaLane, to answer your questions and help you overcome your fitness robots. That's three times the diet and fitness know-how. Three times the entertainment. Tune in every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific to Jack LaLane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Ranese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm Catherine Zox, and you're listening to Voice America Women's Network. I'm your social worker with the microphone, and joining me this morning is Victoria Zackheim. She's editor of Four Keeps, Women Tell the Truth About Their Bodies, Growing Older, and Acceptance. And uh, if you're just joining us, 
we were, I interviewed one of the authors of one of the chapters in the book, Marsha Hamilton, uh, and if you get the book, you can read her chapter, and next, uh, coming up in this half hour is going to be Amy Liu. She also is one of the authoresses, or the authors of one of the chapters called Dead Bone. So, uh, Victoria, you've got, what, 27 different authors in this book, or tw- yes. You're there, are tw- one of them. there are 27 personal essays, and uh, it's funny because I, I spoke at a women's gathering last night, and 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 I always get asked this question: How did you? How could you make 27 stories so completely different? Did you tell them what they had to write about? And I said, I had no idea what they were going to write about. I told them that I was doing an anthology on body and soul, on growing older, accepting our bodies, etc. Were they interested? And if they were, then they were automatically in the anthology. And so um, I said, you know, you could ask 27 authors to write an essay about a hangnail on their thumb, and you're going to get 27 very different stories. And, Victoria, you did, because each one of these women... Totally different. Totally different, because they wrote about their story. That's it wasn't right. anybody else's story. It I'm, came straight from the heart. Sally Terrell writes about becoming an Olympic-style weightlifter to, to get herself emotionally strong to deal with abuses that had taken place since childhood. Uh, Ellen Sussman, in her essay, What I Gave Up, she was a competitive athlete, highly competitive, and then her back began to disintegrate, vertebrae by vertebrae. It's, it's just, it's so fascinating. And Susan Ito wrote a beautiful essay about looking for and finding her birth mother and realizing it's called The Puzzle of My Body. That's quite a compelling story. That's a, Very. Yeah, I, yeah, I like that. And right now we have one of the authors on the air, of Deadbone, Amy Liu. Nice to have you on the show this morning. Welcome to the Catherine Zock Show. Thank you, Catherine. I'm delighted to be here. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? Good. Well, we've been talking about some of the other stories in the book. We talked to uh, earlier Masha Hamilton, but now you, your story, Deadbone, which obviously was very different from any of the others, um, and one of the things that stands out, I guess, as you talk about in the, in the, in the story is or um, your personal assault on your body. Uh, which seems to have been a constant throughout most of your life, and I think a lot of women can identify with that. Absolutely. You know, you take out uh, all the things that you uh, feel troubled about or confused about or guilty about, and you your body becomes the scapegoat. And I think that uh, I have. You're right. I've done that m- most of my life until fairly recently when I finally realized what I was doing it. And, and the book, the story is about, when my body basically fought back and said, "Enough! You can't keep doing this. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna give out on you, and you're not gonna have any choice." So, but what you did, Amy, I think, is what a lot of us do, or at least I identify with this. This, you know, excuse, and you call them self-righteous excuses mm-hmm. for fitness and beauty and energy and health. When in in truth, you're really not doing any of that. You're doing the opposite. You are just, you know, if you're you're in. No pain, no gain. Right, exactly. And and one of the points that I made was I was anorexic as a as a young girl um, for seven years during when I was a teenager, and um, I've done a lot of research since then. And and now I I understand that what happened when I left the eating disorder behind was that I just transferred it over to an exercise disorder. Um, and it was you're right. It was all in the, supposedly in the name of health. And uh, and really, it was just a, a form of self punishment that was just another version of what I had done when when I was anorexic. You, you know, you, you call you, it self. Yeah, excuse, excuse me. I just wanted to ask Amy one thing. You you say self punishment, Amy, but isn't it also an issue of having of taking control when you when a, when a woman or a child feels that she has no control over her life? Yes, I I, I do think that's true. It's the illusion of control, mm. um, but it's really uh, obsessive. And, um, of course, the obsessive-compulsive nature lends itself to eating disorders and lends itself to hyper-exercise. Um, and, and when we talk about control, often what we mean is it's just a narrowing of focus. It's a re- it's you you pour all your anxiety in one direction, and you obsess about um, running an extra twi- you know twelve miles or or, or or losing an extra twelve pounds. 
And it's that illusion that you're taking control of your body and that's going to solve all your mm. problems. And what you're really doing is you're avoiding looking at the, the sources, the true sources of anxiety, and you're avoiding so doing anything point, destructive. So at what point did you realize, hey, this, is, this has nothing to do with, with control, uh, but it, and, and there must have been a point where suddenly, was it an epiphany or what happened to you? What events in your life? Well, the event that I that I write about in the story um, is when my ankle gave out. I had been running for years. I used to run, although I didn't race. I ran marathon distances, and I was never a natural runner. I was a completely unnatural runner. You know, I've, I've since then I've, I've gotten so that I watch people who are running on the street, and a true natural runner is very graceful, beautiful to look at, and, and those are the people who should be running, and they're not going to hurt themselves. That's it's natural for them. For me, it was it was an exercise in torture um, because I was off kilter. I wasn't running properly. I don't line up. I don't have a runner's body, uh, and I was really just pushing myself into the ground, and I repeatedly uh, injured my ankles and didn't properly take care of them. And one day, out of nowhere, my ankle blew up like a tennis ball, and it turned out that I had developed a, a condition called avascular necrosis, where somewhere along the line, the blood supply to the, bl- the bone had gotten cut off, and the bone was literally dying in my ankle. Mm. Um, That's the title, Dead Bone. Right. And that led to uh, rounds and rounds of doctors and uh, a surgical procedure that took a long time to recuperate from and, and was only partially successful. So I, I'm literally, you know, quasi-crippled. Um, I, I cannot functionally run, and I'm lucky that I can walk. Uh, and often there's there's a great deal of pain. So when something like that happens, and this is... You know, there are equivalent stories throughout this book of people whose bodies just said, enough, you've got to change your ways, you've got to wise up, and but, you've got and to start appreciating. Do we have to get to that point? Because as you're describing it, I mean, that is a real crisis. I mean, a real physical crisis, obviously. You had to do something. You know, with your, you know you've had a lot of experience. Is there any point that you would say to uh, young women, you know, hey, you don't have to get to this point where you've destroyed your leg or your ankle, but there are, there are things to look for along the way to see what, you know, to kind of like evaluate, are you doing this just to uh, suffer so that you can have that perfect body or what you think is that perfect body? Well, I think the bottom line for me that I, that I tell people is, does it feel good? Be really honest. Be ruthlessly honest. Does it feel good? Does it make you feel good? Or does it make you feel virtuous because you're hurting yourself so much? There's a big difference. Um, I had a conversation with a young friend who the other day who walks and is, you know, very active, but she was feeling tremendously guilty because her girlfriends were all saying, you don't go to the gym, you don't spend an hour a day at the gym, you know, you really should do that for your health. And I said... That is absolutely ridiculous. You are an active woman. You are getting exercise in all kinds of ways that make you feel good. You hate the gym. It makes you feel like you're in a trap. Why would you make yourself go there? If it, I am if so glad you... to hear you say that because <laughs> I am one of those, those ladies. I have to tell you, and I get bombarded at least two or three times a week with that question. And uh, the answer is, I don't want to spend time in a gym. You know, I have a limited time left, whatever that it may be, and that's not where I want to be. Right. And it's very difficult, I think, sometimes for those colleagues or friends in my uh, arena to uh, to accept that. I always feel on the defensive. So I feel really good that you it, it's okay. The experts all come down in favor of what they call lifestyle exercise, which is exercise that you fold into your daily life. You make it, um, you know, you make it part of your life instead of making it this little corner that you stick, you know, mm-hmm. yep. this punishment corner. Yeah, punishment <laughs> corner. Who wants to be punished exactly? And I, I, I want to kind of, you know, when we come back, we have to take a break right now, but maybe the three of us could talk about specifically the aging process, because that I think that's a little bit different. You know, you'd have a little bit of a different perspective on your body and what you want to do with it and where you want to go with it or what you're able to do with it. Uh, you're, I'm Catherine Zox, and we're taking just 
a short break on Voice America Women's Network. I'm your social worker with a microphone talking to Amy Liu, and uh, she's author of Dead Bone, which you can find in Four Keeps, Women Tell the Truth About Their Bodies, Growing Older and Acceptance, and our editor, Maria Zakheim, will be back in a minute. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Tired of those fad diets and exercise routines that you don't stick with? Want to find a better way to incinerate fat and energize your life without those worthless pills or gimmicks? Then tune in every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific to Fitness Truth with hosts Zach Hunt and A.J. Roberts. Achieve your weight loss and fitness goals and maintain them for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. That's Fitness Truth, Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Did you know your child's asthma attacks can be triggered by things like shower curtains, a blanket, even a teddy bear? I feel like I'm choking. And there are many other things in your home and your child's classroom you may not know about. For the latest information, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Sometimes I... My parents have to take me to the hospital. Help prevent your child's asthma attacks and avoid the emergency room. Call toll-free 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Or visit www.noattacks.org. I don't want to feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. Let's face it, hormones happen. Whether you are male or female, hormones have an impact on your overall well-being. Dr. Hart brings to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel timely topics that answer your lifelong questions about hormones in men, women, and teens. Tune in to Optimal Wellness every Monday at 12 o'clock p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Optimal Wellness. Live life well. Live life long. Live life to the fullest. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Voice America Women's Network. And joining me this morning is Victoria Zackheim. She is the editor of For Keeps, Women Tell the Truth About Their Bodies, Growing Older and Acceptance. And also in this half hour is Amy Liu. We've been talking to her. She is a, an award-winning novelist who has written one of the chapters for the book, Dead Bone. And before we took the break, we kind of, or I don't know if it happened naturally, but we morphed into growing older and acceptance because that's my issue. So I want to talk about that. <laughs> How does that happen? I don't think I've quite reached that point. I mean, Amy Lou said, you know what, you've got to do exercise that fits into your lifestyle. That's true. Uh, you know, don't get coerced into doing things that you just don't want to do, like going to the gym for two hours a day. But... Um, it gets increasingly, I think, more difficult as you get older, maybe to get out there to feel good about your body um, because, it. let's face it, ladies, it doesn't look that great even if you do work your tail off to uh, try and make it, uh, you know, to be fit. Um, so what? how do you get to that point of acceptance when you are, let's say, 50-plus? Um, well, well, you know, I have to tell you, if you, if you have the book in front of you, Catherine... I do. You, and you look at that cover... I mean, that is my favorite book cover ever. I Let's love describe it. it. Describe it to everyone, Victoria. The cover is a, it's a, it's sort of almost a triptych because it shows three women. They're all in a shower. They're all in bathing suits. They're of different ages, and they're they're responding to the photographer photographing them. And one woman is, and they're all laughing. And one woman is sort of trying to cover her herself a bit, even though she's in a bathing suit. She's self conscious. The woman in the middle who's the heaviest of all of them, 
is taking a look at me, aren't I wonderful and enjoying this kind of a pose. And, um, and then the third woman is a woman who looks like she might be in her 70s, and she's holding the shower curtain sort of delicately across her body. But they're all clearly enjoying being together. And, uh, and I just love the cover. It just is a cover to me that says no matter what age we are, no matter what we do, our bodies are for keeps, and who we are is, is all part of it, and we have to love who we are. And I know it sounds so trite, you know, embrace the woman within. But in, a, in truth, what I'm saying in this book with all of these wonderful essays is we all come to our bodies with different perspectives. Some of us hate our bodies. Some of them love our bodies. Um, but these are our bodies for, and, and for keeps, so we have to do what we must do to take care of our bodies and to enjoy really full and productive lives. I think you know, the Victoria, one thing I had that... an experience. I mean, my experience was slightly different. All, as you said, all of these 26 different ladies or different women had different stories to tell. I always loved my body, even if it wasn't a great body, but I had a real good sense of my body, I think, mm-hmm. which came from my own mother because mm-hmm. she had a really, she just transmitted this kind of like, you know, you have a great body and, you know, you have a good mind and all those good things. Mm-hmm. But, so I think for me, it was more of a, or at least, more of a shock when I went through menopause and suddenly, hey, you know, I don't have such a great body. I don't have, uh, you know, some of the attributes that I had before. And I think it made it more difficult. Yeah, but when you say I don't have a great body, by whose standards? (laughs) I mean, you know, by your standards, by the standards of of your partner, by the standards of what you see on magazine covers? I mean, what do you think, Amy? I think it's important that we stop comparing ourselves. I mean, that's the the critical thing. We're all trained to compare ourselves to fashion magazines or to each other or to our mothers or whatever, and it's all totally pointless. I mean, the the critical thing... And I'm going to stop you there because that's a point that's often made, but I'm not comparing myself. I'm comparing myself to me. And I think that's more difficult. But I, I think it's important, self. especially as we get older, yes. to, to appreciate all that our bodies can do for us and um, all that our bodies have done for us in our lives. And I don't know about you, but as I've started seeing my friends get sick and dying, I'm so grateful for my body being healthy and functional, mm-hmm. um, even if it's you know got a few limitations here, most of which are you know <laughs> self-imposed. But my God, what a what a miracle our bodies are! Yes. I agree. You know, I agree with you, and, and certainly I do feel that way. And I'm, you know, I'm healthy, and that makes me feel good. And like you say, you look at friends sick and dying, and all those kinds of things. But I still have this, and this is maybe a horrific joke, but I have three boys, so they don't quite have the same issues, obviously, that I do. But I mean, this is a one of our, you know, like when I die, boys, if you can't put me in the coffin in a size four or six, forget about it. But you know what? Boys are beginning to have these issues. They're beginning, to, they're beginning to suffer from the same body issues that we started suffering from 40 or 50 years ago when the fashion magazines, when the women began to be thinner and thinner and younger and younger. Boys are now having problems with anorexia, with bulimia. Um, you know, read Ron Saxon's book about being a male model and, and from one time to another. He, I mean, he went to the store and picked up a magazine, he was on the cover as this handsome, thin young guy, but when he was looking at himself, he was already 70 pounds heavier. Yeah, that's so, a good example. Actually, he was on the show a few months ago. You're absolutely yeah. right. That's a good example. And so the, I think that having three sons is no longer like the safety valve. You know, oh, thank God, at least I don't have to worry about them. We do. We do have to worry about our sons. So they need to learn from us. I yes, guess. and what role models we have become. I mean, you know, because we have so many, so many women have succumbed to the pressures of what we see in the media. And, you know, it never stops. And, I, you know, my, I, I have a, a mother who's 80-plus, and she always still gets mad at me for announcing on the air that she's over 80. And I said, well, if I'm six, how old could you be? You can't be 50 anymore, Mom. Mm-hmm. But she, too, and she's a beautiful woman, you know, sort of similar to the one the woman, Victoria, that you described to listeners on the cover, you know, this lovely-looking lady. Mm-hmm. But she still has issues with my body's not the way it used oh, to be. Oh, sure. Oh, my mother does, too. My mother's 85. And I think in, in many ways sometimes their generation is more fixated on looks, uh, especially women who didn't have lives out of the, outside the home because they really... 
they they got trapped in this idea that how they looked was really it defined who they were and right. we're those of us who are somewhat younger are are lucky that um we have been raised to have a more divent, hopefully a more dimensional sense of ourselves mm-hmm. well you raise a good point amy because okay those women the traditionalists the women of that generation right they just their looks were very important because they weren't getting accolades for being out in the work world, which we as baby boomers have done. But then we have this younger generation. They're out there. They're working. They get a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of good stuff that comes from the jobs that they do. But still, on some level, they're even more concerned about the way they look, which is somewhat of a interesting. You know, problem. I'm not really sure about those numbers. I think sometimes we get caught up. Um, talking about young people based on sort of the the pop culture um, fixation, but a lot of the younger people that I see, younger women, are much more casual, much more relaxed in their bodies than I remember being. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I think it's I think we have to be careful about those generalizations and that stereotyping. And maybe you're right. Maybe yeah. you see young women now at the beach pregnant and they have t-shirts on over their pregnant bodies and they're proud of their Mm -hmm. bodies and proud of being pregnant. I know certainly for me that wasn't the situation. We weren't allowed to. I mean, that was not acceptable. In California, they don't even wear (laughs) t-shirts. You know, know, seriously, you see pregnant women walking on the beach in bikinis. Yes. And, you know, just enjoying the sun and enjoying the absorption of all those great vitamins. And it's a a very different... uh, a very different generation, and for that I'm, I'm grateful. I think that we're going to have a healthier generation coming up. Yeah, I, I think that's true, and I think some of that we've borrowed from some of the European cultures, too, because I think they were a little bit ahead of us in terms of that. Women, well, for instance, uh, women, pregnant women being on the beach and, and being proud of their bodies yeah, and being pregnant. Yeah, no question about yeah. it. Yeah. Was, Although, you know, we, have a, we also have kind of a strange attitude about the Europeans. We, when I lived in France for many years, and people said, is it true that they walk around everywhere near the beaches naked? And I, yeah. <laughs> I looked at them and said, actually, I find the French women quite modest. But, yes, <laughs> modest, but, but, but sensual. There's a real sensuality to them. That's another show. We have to say goodbye. There's this a comfort great. level. That there is a is. comfort level yes. that, that exists more. Exactly. And that's, I want to just uh, make sure that uh, listeners know that they can purchase your book uh, online bookstores everywhere, and the title of the book is Four Keeps, Women Tell the Truth About Their Bodies, Growing Older and Accepted. And it's a and wonderful book for book clubs. <laughs> oh, yes. And it's a wonderful book for women, you know, 20 to 90, you know, and uh, it's, yeah, it's a fantastic book. Love it. Victoria, Zachheim, thanks so much. Thank and you. And Amy Liu. Thank you, Catherine. you there. Nice mm-hmm. having you on the show this morning. And Amy Liu, her chapter is entitled Dead Bones. Have a great day. Thank and you. Uh, Yeah. See you next time. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. You've been listening to the Catherine Sock Show, Voice America Women's Network. I'm your social worker with the microphone. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversation with Catherine Zox.